Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss The Kill from the 2001 album The Argument is Erica Strout, a filmmaker and musician known for her work in Motherfucker, Dream Tent, and Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Erica, how's it going? Hey, Ann, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very good, too. And and a little shout out to Conan himself for, you know, hooking this up today and getting us in touch oh, yeah. with each other. What up, Conan? What up? <laughs> Friend of the show. Oh, yeah. Sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, he sounds like a sweetheart. I've only really talked to him that once, um, but I'm, I'd love to get in a room sometime with him and, you know, just hang out, have a good time. He seems like a, oh, like yeah. a fun gentleman. He is, yeah. That would be time well spent, I think, if you can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erica, I was, you know, over the past week listening a little bit to Motherfucker and related projects. And, I mean, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, what's your favorite dirt pedal? <laughs> um, I've used a few over the years, as I'm sure a lot of people have. But uh, my current favorite is actually... Um, the Joyo Ultimate Drive. I think that was my favorite one to use for Motherfucker. Really? Interesting. Uh-huh. It's like, I, I think the, the price has gone up since I purchased it. It was 25 when I got it. Now I think it's 30 <laughs> So look out, everybody, for the inflation. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking I don't it up right now. Can... Yeah. I'm seeing it for 35 bucks, maybe. Okay. Yeah, 32 Okay. Okay. I, uh, I don't know why... They, people can make money off of pedals, making them that cheap. But uh, I don't know. It's been it's been a standard and it's been reliable. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. always on the lookout for something uh, cheap and interesting to make my guitar sounds nasty and and interesting. Also, yeah. I myself bought that um, really cheap Behringer fuzz pedal this year, the Super Fuzz. That was twenty five dollars. So nasty. Yeah, you're into it? <laughs> I'm into it. I, it's not something I would use every day, but, uh, you know, it's a nice sure. it's a nice color to have in the palette. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so uh, righteous, gnarly, dirty tones from you in uh, in Motherfucker, playing your SG like a like a good Fugazi fan would. Um, <laughs> so I w- I've been enjoying that. Um, and that leads me Thank into you. asking about your relationship with Fugazi as a fan. Um, do you remember how you first got into them? And anything else you want to say in terms of your story as a fan? Oh, sure. Um, I, I've, I regrettably have never actually gotten to see them perform live. Um, so I think that, well, I don't know. That it just is what it is. But I, I started college in 2000 and uh, started to get into other kinds of music than I'd been listening to, which... Um, it was a lot more like radio friendly stuff just cause that's what I'd been exposed to and started learning about Riot Girl and, um, had a friend who was pretty well, well read musically speaking. And, uh, I had just happened to run into him as I was on my way to, um, uh, Street in downtown Athens. And he went into the store with me. It was just like, here's like 10 albums you need to get. This is before streaming was as uh, widely 
accessible and, and user friendly as it is now. But yeah, I I started college the same year actually, <laughs> and I remember that was oh. that was like the year of Napster, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. what we had instead of streaming uh, back then for the young folks listening. <laughs> we had Napster, which was full of like largely mislabeled MP3s. <laughs> like, who knows <laughs> oh, what you yeah. actually get, and uh, <laughs> often terrible sound quality. But it uh-huh. was it was amazing at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a whole new world. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I think it was repeater that was one of those 10 if i'm remembering correctly uh that he had picked out for me to explore and uh that was also how i got into slater kinney interestingly enough like i hadn't i think i knew they existed but i hadn't actually sat down and listened to them so that was a whole thing too because i've been a huge slater kinney fan for a long time yeah do you remember your first slater kinney album it was dig me out was the first one i heard Right and on. I I listened to it like twice through and then I was like, okay. And I put it away for like two weeks and then suddenly like one of the songs was in my head and I was like, oh, I'll go back and listen to it again. <laughs> I was, it was nonstop on repeat for like six months. <laughs> like I was just mind blown at that point. I guess I had to absorb it a little bit or something, but. Yeah, I, I love an album like that that suddenly, you know, sneaks up from behind. <laughs> it's like, where did that come from? I need to yeah. listen to that album again. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, but I loved Repeater, too. That was, I mean, it was, it was, I don't think it was, like, um, it's not something that's, like, oh, I've never heard anything like this before, necessarily. I mean, certainly they are very singular. Um, but, you know, it's it's a bunch of dudes yelling. <laughs> so, in that way, it's like, okay, <laughs> it's in a certain vein. Uh, but they they were well-constructed songs, and I really liked it. And um, somehow ended up, I don't remember how I heard the argument for the first time, to be completely honest, but I remember it being my favorite. It's not a bunch of dudes yelling. I'll say that for no. that record. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a lot more like crafted and carefully put together. Like, yeah, just you can tell that so much thought and careful crafting was put into it. It's great. There are interesting sounds that couldn't couldn't have been produced by the the stuff they were working with before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And my understanding is that the song that we're talking about today is was fully crafted in re- in a recording context. Well, let's get into that in a minute, and I'd like to I'd like to hear where you heard that. Um, I hope I didn't jump the gun there. <laughs> no, not no, not at all. I'm interested. In um, can I can I ask you if? Uh, if Fugazi is an influence on you as a musician, songwriter, guitarist, is, is there a Fugazi connection to the SG or is that just sort of a coincidence? I would love to say that, yes, I, I got an SG because of Fugazi, but I actually received my guitar as a gift and um, I didn't, so I didn't really like, I guess, choose it in a certain way, but in that certain sense, but I also absolutely fell in love with it and have tried other guitars over the years but I've basically just been playing that guitar since it came to me in like 2002-ish somewhere around there it chose you much like Harry Potter's wand right it kind of seems that way yeah yeah and it's it's a like a like army-ish green color I'm forgetting the official name of the maybe it's olive drab or something but yeah and it's stock that color it wasn't painted later on because it so it's pretty rare. That's a hell of a nice gift, I gotta say. 
I wish uh, I wish somebody would give me one of those. <laughs> Any listeners out there who are being super generous and want to give the host of their favorite podcast, the Gibson SG, I will accept such a gift. Yeah, I fully support that decision, too. <laughs> you deserve one, I think. Oh, well, that's the nicest thing anyone's said about me all week. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the kill. Let's talk about the kill. The thing I wanted to say off the bat is I've had a couple of comments throughout the course of doing this show about the way I'm alphabetizing this. And I, I sort of zoomed right past to the letter K and people were like, what, you're not doing the kill? And here I am in the letter <laughs> T and people are like, what's going on? Why is why are you in alphabetizing by the article? Um, so just to explain my reasoning mm. here, I, I feel like the alphabetization rule that ignores uh, articles uh, and uh, other small words like that. That's more for like reference works where, you know, if you're going to the encyclopedia, you don't want to read through page after page of things that start with the, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you just want to cut right to the, to the meat of the matter. But when it's, when we're talking about the, uh, the songs of Fugazi, this is uh, one of <laughs> Well, next week we'll be doing one also, but that one only was really a demo. Uh, as far as album cuts, this is the only one that starts with the. And I think artistically, it's it's not something I want to ignore, right? Like, imagine mm-hmm. that this song was entitled just Kill. That's different, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it totally. sends a very different message to me. Um and uh, I was I was especially thinking about this when I started the podcast, and we got to the song "Argument." It's not called the argument; it's just called "argument." And to me, that signifies something. I maybe I don't even know yeah. what, but I think it's important that they left off the article, and so I don't think I can ignore them using the article here. So that's how I defend my choice, and uh, I, I will. Uh, after having explained myself that way, I will suffer all the slings and arrows that anybody <laughs> else wants to shoot at me. But uh, that that's my logic. Well, and I think I've seen folks do those alphabetizing different ways, right? I've seen it both ways. And I think that, uh, you know, it, it's probably one of those things where both both strategies are correct, you know? And people just need to con- like take a couple of breaths and, and just... <laughs> Understand that you have a, a method. <laughs> <laughs> I do have and a just method. Just trust you. Trust your method. <laughs> it's the most secret method, but it is a method. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, it's a very inside baseball reference for people who've been listening to the show for a while. Um, yeah. And, and um, so, so tell me what you've heard about um, Fugazi creating the kill uh, all uh, in the studio. Oh, well, what I read wasn't, it wasn't really in depth. It was just talking about the process overall for that album and how they, they used different drum sounds on each song. They and like, um, they wanted it to be a collection of, of different variety. So they, like, I think Brendan used different drums for each song and, um, some of the songs were ones from previously where they were uh, had written them like together in a room and then some of them they recorded and wrote in that format, which I find to be very challenging. I'm used to getting, I'm getting used to, excuse me, songwriting 
in a recording format, which is very strange to me. Like, I, I'm not sure what equipment they used on this, but uh, it's been established on this podcast before that Guy owns an Echoplex, and to me it sounds like that's what might be going on on all the sort of repeated, the the guitar repeats that happen in like in the background here. Yeah, and I love how creepy it is. It's creepy, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What's uh well, what what do you think makes it most creepy to you? What's is there an element that you'd like to seize on to talk about first here? I tend to like kind of creepy music, and I there was a band out of I want to say Indiana, but they're called We Are Hex, and they were super creepy, like punk rock, and the guitarist. It wasn't it wasn't even like the stuff that he was doing. It was like. There was all this like space that he was creating with these like really minimalist guitar parts, but they were quiet and like the intervals were odd and like I, I, I can't, I'm having a hard time describing it in what feels like an accurate way, but um, I just that's kind of it. It kind of reminded me of that band when I was hearing hmm. uh, or when I listened to that song and listened to the Kill. That is, and also. Um, there's a, a British band called Sorry that's kind of new, and, and they're more in the pop realm, I'd, I'd say, but they use a lot of, like, kind of seasick kind of guitar uh, parts, uh, lines or melodies or whatever you want to call it. Interesting. Uh, and I just really enjoy that. It's, it kind of tickles the same itch that Deerhoof tickles for me. Okay. See, there's a band that I've heard. Now you're speaking my language. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. I guess like that. that rubber bandy like <laughs> I, I don't think Deer have necessarily like bends their notes quite so much, but they're they're bendy. They <laughs> they're <are>? real bendy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there is definitely a seasick quality to the guitar that's happening here. It's like it sounds like whoever's playing it, and I I guess I had assumed it was Gee, but it could just as well be Ian, I'm not sure. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it sounds like they play sort of one or two notes that are being being vibratoed either by, like, finger or by, you know, bending the, the neck as they did sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and then that's sort of captured by the whatever echo unit they're playing through, and it's repeated a few times. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, of course, at first, the first one is, like, it's either a high note or a harmonic, um, and then it's sort of... The same thing happens with a lower note and then a, this distorted mm-hmm. chord, um, but it's all sort of that same sort of seasick echoed um, mm-hmm. feel to them. Uh, and it's it's an interesting way to introduce the track, but it also sort of persists throughout most of the song, too. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering, like, with the very beginning of it, it almost sounds sort of uh, like pick scrapey rather than like a picked note that's ringing out, it almost sounds like they're kind of like rubbing the pick against the string a little bit. I'm, I'm not sure if that's actually what's happening, but I'm, I, do you have any insight on that? I'm curious. I, I don't. That's a possibility that I had not considered. Um, I Yeah, I was assuming it was just a harmonic, but mm. uh, I, I, would have to, I would have to pause the podcast and re-listen. I'll leave that's that fair. for the listeners to uh, <laughs> go back and listen. Is it... They can argue in the comments. Please argue in the comments. To go on to the next element of the song that comes in, I think Joe's bass line is very interesting. It's way up on the neck. And if you 
watch live examples of them playing the song, he's he's pretty much got his hand as high up on the neck as you can go to play this line. Uh-huh. And I you know, I had noticed over the years that Joe's bass got higher and higher. He just would wear it higher um, up on his chest um, until yeah. like it, it was pretty much, you know, way up there by How the end funny. of when they were playing live. And, you know, that's sort of a journey that I've been going on myself. Like I'm starting to sort of raise the guitar up when I play it uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, it just makes certain things easier. Like if you're trying to play complex chords like it just doesn't work (laughs) hurts your wrist when you're wearing the guitar too low but also uh i'm wondering if he started writing more bass lines like this and that was something that contributed to that move well it's i think and i it seems like kind of a jazzy way to play a bass guitar is up high uh not only just like physically it sitting higher on you but also like playing up higher on the neck and really exploring the full range of the bass guitar. I don't see rock bassists do that very much. Yeah, and I think probably most people who play bass or or guitar have noticed that I mean even if you could if you play the same notes, right? Like on the high strings but lower down the neck, it sounds mm-hmm. different uh than playing those exact same notes on the lower strings higher up the neck, right? It's Anything right. you play lower down the neck sounds, uh, I guess, more twangy is the way that I would put it. I mean, when I play bass guitar, I usually play a, a Fender Mustang, because that's what I have, which is a short scale. So that one is, is kind of different, too, just cause, because of the shorter scale versus the longer. Yeah. You know, they have different um, tones and whatnot. T- timbre. <laughs> dude, from, uh, dude from Sloan plays one of those, I believe. Really? Let me do a quick Google image search. Sloan okay. bass player. Am I right? I remember seeing them live at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the it's that one with that. It's like the split P bass pickup, but it's like looks like two little separate ones entirely. Is that the Mustang? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, so, the, yeah. This dude's this dude's playing a Mustang. Yeah. Rad. <laughs> Ooh, his has a nice racing stripe too. Do you have a racing Ooh. stripe on yours? No. <laughs> <laughs> Of course not. That, that seems but that's like an okay. aftermarket thing you could add. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a huge Sloan fan, so I don't know much, but I, I saw them live once and they put on a good show. So shout out to Sloan. Brad. Cool. Yeah. Something else that grabs my attention in this song, I guess, is the percussion, the, the second drums. We have friend of the show, Jerry Busher, uh, coming in. It's kind of funny when you look at the credits for the argument. Some of them say that Jerry Busher is doing percussion, and some of them say that he's doing second drums. And it's really hard for me sometimes to tell the difference between like how you would credit that because it sort of sounds to me like he's doing percussiony stuff here. But then mm-hmm. again, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly who's playing what. But it does sound yeah. to me at some points like. When when Joe, for example, is singing the laying in this cold field part, there's this stuttering, like syncopated tambourine playing, and it, it's it's sort of not in the pattern that I would play if I were just you know playing my dumb non-percussionist tambourine to a song. Mm-hmm. It's this interesting rhythm. There's also at I was I think I noted the timestamp like two forty three about. There's this weird little insect-like sounding percussion 
So I like to oh. me, I'm guessing this is stuff that Jerry Busher is contributing to the recording. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what that is, but just sort of adds to the overall texture. Yeah, certainly. Well, and I'm not sure what the, uh, what the official like symphonic way that you would differentiate drums versus percussion. Like I, in my mind, I can tell you what I think about it, which is that if you're playing a drum set, then I would think second drums. Okay. He's on a second drum set. Yeah. But if, but if he's doing percussion, he's doing, um, he's playing just, you know, single pieces or, you know, maybe a few things, but it's not like put together as like a drum set is. Yeah. I like suppose he's that got makes a tambourine sense. and then he's got a cymbal over here. Or he's got a, you know, a Tom or something or, you know, whatever it is. Now, what if he's Some playing one can. drum? Is that second drums or is that percussion? I would I would say percussion. I think you might be right because uh, he was on the show for Strange Light and was talking about just sort of playing a snare with a brush the way like a jazz drummer would. And mm-hmm. I believe on that song he's credited as percussion and not second drums. So I think you've got it exactly right. Oh, cool. <laughs> First <laughs> so time th- today. <laughs> Best I could figure. This is something I should have clarified when he was on the show. I guess I just wasn't thinking of it at the time. In any yeah. case, I, I like the weird little percussion touches. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it really adds like that's something extra. I did play, uh, I played drums in high school. Although I, I've only been in one band as a drummer ever. So I have a little bit of experience, but it's been a long time. So I can, it's hard to remember all the details of like how everything works. I have almost no experience other than just getting behind the set occasionally and uh, a drummer indulging me and letting me mess around, you know, yeah. st- stuff that happens at band practice. Yeah, that's nice of them. I've known some drummers to be a, a little more, you know, protective of their gear than others. Certainly. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I played with a drummer once who um, I I sort of went over and like took my finger and just did a like a couple you know, hits of my, my, my bare finger on his crash symbol or something. And he was like, Oh, you know, the oils on your finger can sort of (laughs) (laughs) have an effect on the, on the metal of the symbol and interact. So if you could not do that, I was like, okay, wow. Uh, Hands off. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think I jokingly put my foot on somebody's bass drum once and was asked not to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, to be and fair... I, I obliged. <laughs> yeah, to to a non-drummer, drums seem a little bit like furniture, you know, in, in some respects. It's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. there. You can just put stuff on them. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm sure we wouldn't want uh, people putting beers on top of our amps or whatever. So, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I put beers on my amps, but I don't... <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like, if it's not your amp, you probably shouldn't put a beer on it. That's Or any kind of condensating drink, whatever it is. I think that's a good rule. Yeah. Or, this this is uh, maybe an untapped market, but coasters specifically for amps. Mm, I think you're onto something here. Maybe you could just take it a step further and, and make it an indentation on top of the amp. and A built-in cup holder? <laughs> on an amp. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> maybe it's a million dollars. Maybe it's nothing. That's either brilliant because it's useful or a terrible idea because it'll just make more people eventually spill 
drinks uh, onto their tubes and stuff. Um, yeah, maybe they would trust but, it too much. Yeah, but I I feel like it's something that has not been done, and that that deserves a little bit of credit, just you know, just for originality. I feel like we should call the Crate Amp Company and see if they're interested. Yeah, they still around? They must be. Oh, actually, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Wait, I think I think they are. I think they are. Yeah, uh, I don't want to live in a world without Crate providing <laughs> their, <laughs> their their boxy little amps to beginners. I mean, we have enough problems already. We don't need to add a lack of Crate amp uh, manufacturing to totally. the list. Well, well, that's a tangent. Uh, to to talk about some more of the interesting sonic qualities here, it seems yes. like after about three minutes into the song, there starts to be some sort of wah-like texture to the guitar. Uh, I mm-hmm. feel like it's like if it is indeed a wah pedal being used, it's it's just like very sort of slow. It's not somebody going wah watch wah watch. You know, it's it's just very slowly moving. As the mm-hmm. guitar is playing, uh, although that could just as easily be, I don't know, somebody messing with like a parametric EQ or something like that. So it might not have anything to do with a wah pedal. It just seems like the guitar is being filtered in an interesting way that's not just straight into the amp. And I think I'm impressed by their restraint on this because I feel like if I was writing that song that I would be really tempted to to format it as like a slow build into something big. Yeah, that doesn't and really happen. It just doesn't happen, no. But but these little things come in and you almost don't even hear them if you're not paying attention and the whole song is just very measured and like just it's all about the details. Yeah. Another detail that comes to mind is we have some whistling in this song. How do you feel about the whistling? Have you written a song with whistling ever? No, I haven't. Neither have I. It's never it's never really occurred to me, I guess. Yeah. Although I don't hate whistling by any means, and I've heard songs that have it in them that I enjoyed. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure of they that, exist. I, I'm going this to, one is one of them, I'm sure. I'm gonna go ahead and give my um top five whistling songs right now. Ooh, okay. So first, you know, starting things off at number five something you'll hear on the radio right now tighten up by the black keys it's um they've they've really managed to craft an earworm there and i respect that we've got young folks by peter bjorn and john more of like an early 2000s thing but that really mm-hmm. worked its way around walk like an egyptian by the bangles has a neat little whistling part oh you're right yeah. i love that song okay yeah at number 2 i'm going to put sitting on the dock of the bay Classic, mm. classic whistling part there. Uh, Great song. And of course, number one, Me and Julio, Down by the Schoolyard. Love that song. Yeah. So there's my top five whistling songs. Listeners, again, argue in the comments. <laughs> yeah, that's a great list. And of course, that's just like, you know, pop songs. It's not counting classic whistle while you work, you know, Disney numbers. Yeah. Well, and how do you feel about Andrew Burt? Because my understanding is that he is like a world-class whistler. I never, I never got too into Andrew Bird. I think I have to plead ignorance on that a little bit. Um, okay, that's fair. I, you know, not to brag, I think I'm a pretty decent whistler myself. It's not something I'll do on the podcast. I, I don't think that good for the mics to pick up. But um, <laughs> you know what? I like to whistle the, the Queen of the Nights aria in uh, from from the Magic Flute by Mozart. 
Like that's that's the most challenging thing I can do, and I think I pull it off pretty well. Wow. Yeah, I really would like to hear that at some point, <laughs> if that's possible. Maybe maybe I'll post it in the Facebook group if I can uh, manage to. <laughs> yeah. Um, if if anybody wants to see me posting totally non Fugazi related content. Yes, everybody vote yes. <laughs> We've also got, and I I'm not sure how I feel about this. The, the song ends with some sort of like. Darth Vader breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's followed up by this like white noisy wind sound sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I go back and forth on the on the breathing thing. Like I'm not I'm not sure if I like it or if I think it's cheesy. Uh yeah, well I, I to me it just it just seems like it's almost like they're creating a sound poem because I think that all those sounds are uh related to the the end of the you know lyrically the end of the song like where they're talking about i mean the sodium pentothal that's been the first drug they give for lethal injections right exactly yeah let's jump into the lyrics that's that's a great segue oh okay yeah i actually um because i looked up sodium pentothal and it has been used uh commonly in general anesthesia in the induction phase like to first give it to somebody to put them out Um, right it's apparently its use has been largely replaced with propofol and the thing that it brought to mind for me that i had heard about sodium pentothal is as a as like a truth uh serum that like the cia would you know inject people and and it would you know work as like a a, you know truth-telling drug um from all indications, what I've what I've seen is that it doesn't really work. It's like basically every drug that people have thought would be good for that. Turns out it's mm-hmm. it's sort of just exactly as effective as just getting somebody drunk. You know, they all sort of get people to be more talkative and more loose, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be telling the truth. Um, and yeah, finally, you are correct. It is for execution by lethal injection. Mm-hmm. It, there's a drug cocktail of three drugs, and the f- the first one is sodium pentothal, basically to put the prisoner like knock them out. Apparently, this, mm-hmm. the next ones are pancuronium bromide and potassium chloride. Mm. A couple of times, it has been recently tried, and and it works to like just give. A prisoner a large dose of sodium pentothal and that kills them so yeah oh really okay the european union has made it illegal to export sodium pentothal to the united states because we use it for lethal injection and they're not cool with that right yeah i've read that yeah um, yeah but yeah so it's interesting and that and that's not the first thing that came to my mind again like i had heard of it as a truth serum but i think you're right in that in the context of this song i think that's uh how it's being used right I think so. Yeah, laid out, immobile, hoping for that call, which I assume to be a a, a pardon from the governor or something. Um, right. It's in my mouth, under my skin, sodium pentothal. Yeah, it seems to me this yeah. is painting the picture of somebody being executed. I think so. Yeah, and the 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 stanza before it, laying down in chambers, waiting for the call. Uh, seen your kind so many times, you got no chance at all. I mean, to to me, this feels like a song about a soldier trying to and unsuccessfully uh, integrate into society. A couple of possibilities sprang to my mind, and that's mm-hmm. definitely one of them. Yeah. W- yeah. We, what were the others? 
Well, so we're going about this a little backwards, of course, but uh, mm. yeah, so... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, like, but yeah, just to go to the... I guess the beginning of the second part of this song, Joe begins three different stanzas in a similar way, right? Laying in this cold field, waiting for the call, feeling right here in this uniform. I think I got them all. That seems like a soldier to me. Then, as you say, lay down, laying down in chambers, waiting for the call. Seen your kind so many times, you got no chance at all. Finally laid out, immobile, hoping for that call. So I was definitely thinking it has something to do with with a soldier. Like That seems almost unequivocal to me. Um, the only question to my mind is if it's like, an official soldier or somebody who's part of some kind of like wacky militia. Mm. Oh. That seemed like a possibility to me. But I think the second stanza is where you could possibly bring a second interpretation in, which is laying down in chambers. Like that word chambers is weird to me, right? I don't like that's not something that you would call somebody's jail cell, right? Um, maybe you would. Maybe. But to me, the first thing that comes to mind is a judge, right? The, a judge has chambers or like in a, some kind of public official, but like a judge is the most common one to me. So I think a possibility here, if it's not all about one person, maybe it is, it's like flashing back and forth between the soldier who, who's possibly got himself on death row for, I don't know what, c- committing some kind of murder uh, after he, you know, got got back stateside um and then flashing to a judge who's like the the other side of the coin the judge who sentenced uh who sentenced this prisoner to death laying mm-hmm. down in chambers waiting for the call seen your kind so many times you got no chance at all it's like this is it's a judge who's seen so many um convicts and passed so many sentences on people um and then yeah finally it's the prisoner and i think in that interpretation it's pretty interesting as like you know th- these are both people who are responsible for somebody else's death um it's it's just that one is on the right side of the law and one is not mm. think that holds water at all i like that yeah i do yeah well that falls right in with this this whole theme of this album which is you know um the argument isn't just one argument. It's it's the argument that waging a war is, and it's the argument against war, and it's all the arguments in between and about. I mean, even cash outs on here, which is about gentrification. Yeah. Um. So you know, there's lots to argue about, I guess. <laughs> I, <laughs> and uh, sorry, I haven't had any coffee yet today. <laughs> I think that was a mistake. Um, but yeah, I definitely think you're your perspective on that holds water. I think one other line that adds to may, maybe the that to that perspective is academic or street education obtained degree in annihilation. So, yeah, wh- whether you whether you go to great schools to become a lawyer and then a judge or whether you grow up on the streets learning to fend for yourself, um, mm-hmm. you know, either one, you're obtaining a degree in annihilation if you're if you're a judge in America who sentences people to die. Yeah. That's such a intense sentence to, to I don't I mean I don't really want to get into the politics of the death penalty, but Yeah, it's a Fugazi podcast. This is neither the time nor the place, Erica. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you want to get into politics, that's that's fine. Just no, no, no. Let's not do it. <laughs> of course, we haven't talked about the the like the beginning of the song and the lyrics there. The the refrain that Ian Mackay is singing, "I'm not a citizen. I'm not a citizen." There are a few ways you can interpret that too. Like I think, mm-hmm. um, it, like it's not exactly right, but so there's a difference between it between a soldier and a civilian, and maybe Ian's extending that idea to to like not being really a citizen if you're if you're a soldier. Um, right. There's that. Yeah. But you know, it could also just be talking about somebody who's living outside the bounds of. Uh, of society and our agreed upon laws and like if if you are if you're an outlaw if you are murdering people are are mm-hmm. you really a citizen like at some point you know you get you get rights stripped away from you the right to you know carry firearms and vote things like that oh yeah so mm-hmm. in in some ways you become less of a citizen if you are convicted of crimes like that yeah now that we're talking about this in more in depth too i think I think uh, I think this song is definitely about more than a soldier. I mean, I think that's included, but I definitely think that they're... And I think Fugazi likes to leave things open to interpretation, too. Like, they're... I feel like they would be reticent to, like, speak about, you know, this is what this song absolutely means. Yeah. I think they like to let people interpret things as they can, but... Um, yeah, it definitely feels like a bigger... Uh, a bigger scope now that we're talking about it a little more and kind of sussing it out. Definitely. Something else, the line embrace tradition and occupation, cull memory for assimilation, secure for future generations. So I, you know, I do when I'm researching these songs, I do go to genius.com, you know, not to really form my opinion about what the lyrics mean, but just to see if there's something that I may have missed and mm-hmm. somebody annotated something on Genius for this song that I think I did miss, which is, um, so there is this uh, famous white supremacist terrorist, David Lane, and he has, like, he wrote this motto that is holds great traction among white supremacists today, uh, and it's, it's the, like, f- they call it the 14 words, and the 14 words are, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. That's mm. like, that's something that white supremacists still like hold by. And to me like that, yeah, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Like, con- you know, comparing that to the lyrics here um, about a soldier and talking about secure for future generations um, mm-hmm. and that, and that possibly the soldier, murdered somebody uh, in the United States. It sounds like a portrait of like this militarized white supremacist who like joins this terrorist group. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of reading a lot into the lyrics that are there, but mm-hmm. I think maybe there's a possibility that Joe was alluding to that. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, now I'm seeing, I, I just looked it up on there cause I was curious and I hadn't looked at that website before but it says on genius.com that the kill is about the use of military and militarized police in the united states at home and abroad and a commentary on its racialized nature of course there's nothing explicit in the song about 
police, but again, mm-hmm. um, laying in this cold field, waiting for the call, feeling right here in this uniform. I think I got them all. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I think it's a huge problem that the police have become more militarized. There seems to be such a such a mindset of us versus them uh, among the police. Um, yeah. Instead of looking at people as a community they're supposed to be serving. There's so much about race and racism wrapped up in, in policing that it would be almost hard to like read the first lyrics to this song uh, and know which one it is, right? Born into race and nation, accept family and obligation, embrace tradition and occupation. It's It's like a white person whose, you know, father and grandfather were soldiers or police mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of being in the mindset that that's their path also. There's Absolutely. There's so many ideas wrapped up in here that you could expand this the lyrics of this song into like a short story, but it could go in so many different directions. It could be about so many different things while sort of uh, preserving this, this, the central kernel of what Joe's getting at here. Yeah, I, I, was, I used to work with a woman who is a member of the Daughters of the Confederacy, not because she speci- specifically chose to be, but because she was told she was going to be a member because her mother and her grandmother, and I, I don't know how far back it goes, but I know at least those two, and at least she was the third generation at least, and that was like a traditional thing in their family. So she's a lifetime member, whether she likes it or not at this point, of the Daughters of the Confederacy. Wait, so so they, like, induct... So they made her a member without her even, like, consenting to it, you mean? Well, yeah, like, her... her in a, in a family pressure kind of way, not in a... Oh, I see. <laughs> not in a <laughs> hostage kind of way. Yeah. You know, she was, like, 15. Oh, okay, I see, I see, yeah. So, yeah, she didn't, I think, at that point have... I mean, I, I, she's a pretty conscientious person that I, I know that she would not willing, like, I don't think she's happy about being a member of that, but like at the time, you know, when you're 15, like your parents are, you know, still guiding you and telling you what to do. And, you know, a lot of times parents have expectations that you're supposed to fall in line with. So I mean, I think, you know, back to the lyrics here, it's, you know, if you're, your dad was in the KKK maybe that's just what's expected of you and you grow up in that environment where that mm-hmm. seems like the right way to think or behave or whatever I don't know I mean it's it's super unfortunate to me because I don't <laughs> I don't subscribe to that way of thinking at all but uh yeah well I I'm not sure if I had uh, any more notes on the song anything else you wanted to say no I feel like you were very thorough I'm really impressed. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I mean, in that case, <laughs> let's talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you think you could give this song a rating from one star to five stars, but only in the context of uh, of all the other Fugazi songs out there? I think it's, I mean, certainly it's up there. I'm trying to think of a reason why I wouldn't give it five stars, and I'm not really coming up with anything. <laughs> There was clearly so much thought and effort put into this that I'm going to give it five stars. Very nice. Big rating from Erica Strout. I like to be generous, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, I'm coming in a little on the low side on this one. 
in the context of mm-hmm. all their songs, I think I have to come in at around a two. To me, it's a little meandering. Something that occurred to me, you know, I was watching some live versions and it seems like when they would play it, a lot of the times the crowd would be sort of talking through it, seeming a little bit bored. And, mm-hmm. you know, on, upon reflection, I sort of feel that way myself. It's a cool song in the context of the album and it adds to the mood of the argument. Um, but as, as a song in itself, it's not their most engaging one. And I found myself comparing mm-hmm. it to a song like Long Division, which is also a quiet song. It's not hard charging. It's not super fast. But it has it has a certain engaging intensity that just like I, I can't imagine watching them play that song and not hanging on every word and, and paying really close attention. Whereas, mm-hmm. to be honest, the kill loses my attention sometimes. Yeah. And when I force myself to pay attention, there's a lot of cool stuff in it and really cool textures and sounds uh, and lyrics. But uh, yeah, overall, it's not one of my ultimate favorite um, Fugazi songs. So that's fair. Well, not in my experience, some songs just do better live and some do better on a recording too, you know, where you can like really yeah. focus on it. Yeah, that's definitely so, true. Yeah. So there's a bit of a spread here. Let's see what some of the listeners have to say um, on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page. I'm not sure if this gentleman has commented before. Adam Guinness, Gynes, G-Y-E-N-E-S. Not sure how to pronounce that, but he says, a five for me, favorite song from the argument, so brooding and atmospheric, and Joe's best vocal performance. His deadpan mm. delivery works so well on this one. Rob Virginio says, a beautiful song, four stars. I love the sonic, youthy, bendy guitar intro. I love Ian's I'm Not a Citizen part, and damn it, I even love the whistling. This and Strange Light back to back on the argument was almost unrecognizable Fugazi at the time. And finally, Gonzalo Leva Bastias says, I wonder if the making of this song had anything to do with the song Argument because of how similar the guitar parts are in I'm Not a Citizen and the main part of the argument. Uh, Aside from that, my absolute favorite Joe song gives you the feeling of walking in a deserted city at night. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see it too. Uh, It sort of in that way reminds me of Recap Madati from End Hits. I, I also very much have a nighttime city vibe from that one. Um, another another solid Joe song. Yeah. Next time I'm driving down the connector in downtown Atlanta, I'll have to put it on and see how it feels. I bet it'll be nice. <laughs> that's that's a huge highway, isn't it? I've dri- I think I've driven through Atlanta <laughs> one time and I was like, whoa, what is this? Yeah, it's a pretty weird city, right? That's what happens when people don't plan things ahead of time. <laughs> Although I have to also say in their defense, you know, when a city is that old, it's hard to know how much technology is going right. <laughs> to come in over time. So totally. that's fair. But having multiple peach tree streets is really interesting. They're just like scattered all throughout town. Well, yeah, two of them are parallel to each other, although one is, is called West Peach Tree to be, you know, to be clear. One is Peachtree and then one is West Peachtree, but they run like one block away from each other, parallel. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if there's, <laughs> wonder if there have been campaign, campaigns to change that. No, we want to be the the real Peachtree Street. I haven't heard of them yet, but I'll keep my eyes on the Instagram ATL scoop and <laughs> see if it comes up. <laughs> well, there's one more thing I like to do on the show, and that's give you a chance to do some plugs. Never mind what's where can listeners reach you, or do you have any projects you want to tell listeners to check out, musically or otherwise? Anything, really. 
Well, you can find Motherfucker on Apple Music, on Spotify, streaming. Uh, you can find Dream Tent on Bandcamp at dreamtent.bandcamp.com. You can find my uh, my portfolio, my film work portfolio, which is mostly music videos. Uh, I'm a music videoist for hire. Uh, and that's at ericastrout.com. And that's all I could think of right now. Sweet. I appreciate everyone listening and you for you having me on. I'll put all those links in the show notes. And um, yeah, if you think of anything else, send it over. I'll put those in also. And listeners can check them out. So thanks very much, Erica. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for kicking around ideas with me. And um, listeners, as always, you can reach me at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com. Join that Facebook group just called The Alphabetical Fugazi. We've only got a handful of songs left to go, so get your comments in if you'd like to uh, if you'd like to be on the record about those. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing the word. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs>